This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right there, friends. Good morning. This is Jared here from the 20-Sided Gamified podcast. Kelly, are you awake? I'm I'm gregarious right now. <laughs> gregarious right Gregar- now. Yeah, I'm going to start using those. High level SAT GRE words. Well, well, given given the uh, clientele we have on the show today, I think we we need to be on our game. We have to be very sophisticated. I of think. course, I mean all the time, but yeah, <laughs> no, no, this is true. So, by the way, Kelly, um, you could probably see that I look terrible. Uh, that's primarily because of one of the guests, like the golden goose that I've called him for quite a while now. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk about that. By the way, I apologize for this, right, Kelly? So I know that uh, you joined the festivities. At the uh, Fishman household, you know, for Christmas Eve. And I know that we played Sentinels instead of Battlestar Galactica. So I, I just have to tell you now that uh-huh. Battlestar Galactica was played last night. Yeah. Which is why I look this way. Did it just absolutely destroy every fiber of your body? I was called <laughs> many terrible things during the game. I was a Cylon immediately. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> Literally Even, immediately. Were, were you, though? I was. No, I really was. I had oh, the oh, Cylon okay. car. No, yeah. I really was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this was not profiling any in any or, sense <laughs> necessarily. Were you just immediately nailed to the cross because you are who no, you are? No, no. So, so maybe we'll save it for a little later. But um, no. Um, essentially, essentially, uh, I was outed very quickly by a player at the table. But the thing is, is that he's such a wild human, right, Brian? If you're listening out there, he's such a wild person that I don't like. People didn't exactly believe him. 
but he called it like immediately. Like he knew I was a Cylon immediately. I thought that he was also a Cylon, but it turned out that he was just having too much fun. How many so, how many Cylons are in the game? So there's the potential to have up to two. Okay. Minimum one, maximum two. So, so you're you're hoping you're looking for allies, I, I take it. I was, and my ally threw me in the brig. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, oh hold on. I'm over talking. I'm over talking. Um Kelly, how do you feel about today's show? Are we ready? Or we're definitely ready. Definitely ready. Yeah. By the way, uh, what have you been up to? You look very sprightly this morning. Yeah, uh, yesterday upon you know, well, I mean, I got back to Jersey, did the whole Christmas Day thing um, with my brother and his and that family, um, and then I went over to Kate's family, and then that. I think that's the first time I've mentioned her by name in the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've met her, so it works. I have. <laughs> yes. Um. So in the morning yesterday, I had to run over to my brother's because me and my nephew bought him a gaming PC that we had cool. to put together. Uh, and then my nephew forgot the power supply, so we couldn't, we couldn't ah, play it together. <laughs> brutal. So it's fine. Um. So and then you've I, recovered from that, Kelly. Yeah, it's fine. Good. I've been I've been trying to get painting and assembling projects done. Cool. So I'm sure you see the aliens box behind me. I do. Me. I do so see it. I'm putting that together for a game I'm hoping to put together on Saturday. Very cool. All right. I'm a little honestly I'm a little too excited about this podcast today. All right. So for for all of you listening out there, so you know that uh, I've been on break now um, from work and I've scheduled a lot of podcasts over these next couple of weeks. And it just turns out that uh, we kind of have almost like an entire staff of people from a particular institution here today. And I do, I've said this before, right? Um, Westchester Community College holds a pretty important place for me because I did my first two years of college there. Um, one of my very, very good friends who's on the show today works there. We've had guests on from the community college before. And what we decided to do with today's episode, and it's going to be a little freewheeling to, on, to some extent, we've got four different folks from WCC here today. All right. Now, as you guys always know, like, you know, I'm not going to over talk about each of them. They'll get a chance to kind of, you know, tell their own stories and things. But we've got, uh, I'm just going to use first names for today for the moment. So we've got Steve, Scott, Houston, and Julie. They're all professors of different fields at WCC and, and each of them do other things as well for the school. And I think what binds them together, um, I mean, obviously the institution does, but for our purposes here, they're all gamers in, in different ways. Uh, so I've been harassing, harassing Scott for a long time now to come on the show. Finally, uh, he decided, as I look at him on Zoom, he decided to, yes, actually partake in this. And he really, in a lot of ways, is kind of the glue that kind of holds all the game stuff together at the school. And I think everybody would agree on that. Um, so, Kelly, if you're ready, WCC folks, welcome. How are y'all hey. doing? Well, Hello. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say thank you for the introduction. And Kelly, luckily you did not play Battlestar Galactica on Christmas Eve from the holidays. It would have been Christmas. Everything just would have gone yeah. downhill. So it was probably for the better. Yeah. And and Scott, you didn't sleep too well last night? Awful. Just nothing. <laughs> Maybe from the excitement for this, but honestly, it was just Battlestar Galactica. Takes a lot out of you. 
It does. <laughs> yeah, it really, really does. And if you've never played that game out there, folks, I think it's out of print, but you could probably snag a copy of it somewhere. It's just an amazing game. And I guess on that note, um, why don't we do some introductions first? Okay. Scott, do you mind introducing to whatever extent you're willing, given that you're a Cylon, um, what you're willing to say about yourself uh, regarding like uh, what you do at the school? Yeah, let me give the most human possible response I could think of. Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Scott. I am the coordinator for testing assessment for college. So basically, all students coming to the college have to be assessed for the college of placements, uh, what classes they're going to be most successful. And so I kind of run that area. And I also I'm adjunct to the mathematics department, so I teach math classes. Um, and I have to say, Jared, the last – it's how long we've known each other? About like nine, ten years at this point, I would say. Um. I think it's 10 years because I think yeah. your brother made contact with us first. And I actually remember the email. I remember him saying something along the lines of, can I invite my brother to our vampire game? Like something well, along those lines, I think. That exactly happened. Because he was telling me about this game I've never heard of and everything that was happening. And I kept bothering him. Like, hey, Mike, can, can, you, can you invite me? Can you invite me? Can you invite <laughs> me? And then I became that. So I was invited. And it's like it took me to like a back alley, just literally gave me a needle and he said, like, dude, dude. And I've been loving this life since um, and enjoying everything it has to do. Um, but the other big thing I do at the college, and Steve is my co-advisor for this, and we can definitely talk a little more about this in a little, but we run the Gaming Guild at Westchester Community College, which is uh, a club. And we host all types of tabletop gaming, card games, role-playing, traditional board games. Um, and it's something I love to do. I know it's brought a lot of joy for Steve and the students as well. So we'll definitely kind of talk a bit about that. So I'm going to pass it off. Uh, Steve, to you. Sure. Um, well, I'm Steve O'Rourke. Um, I'm a repeat offender now on the 20 Side Game 5 podcast. Um, so I had um, probably a little bit of an introduction on that episode. But I'll give you a quick little synopsis here. I'm a psych instructor at WCC. Uh, I have been there now for a year and a half. Very quickly after arriving, um, people said, have you met the guy over in testing who plays games? So everybody was pointing me in Scott's direction. And I'm grateful for that because then it went from connection to Scott to connection to the gaming guild to connection to other people around the campus who play. Uh, it was it became a real. A real home real fast. So that's that's me. I'll toss it to uh, Julie. Go ahead, Julie. Hi, uh, I'm Julie Linden. I'm not a Cylon. I teach <laughs> anthropology at Westchester Community College. Uh, and I started in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. So one of my early memories there of actually getting to interact with people was when Scott and Jared gave a presentation and workshop about using games and simulations in the classroom. So that was Important both because I got, you know, a little socialization in, but also uh, that really inspired me and it really kicked off uh, using games in <laughs> classes for me. I've always been a gamer, but I got off of that uh, Zoom call and I ordered the collaborative storytelling deck and just kind of took it from there. Yeah, from Trent Her Generator, who has the coolest name. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Julie. It's so nice to meet you. And what about you, Houston? Go for it. Uh, I'm a Houston Martin. I'm an adjunct instructor in anthropology and archaeology, uh, uh, which is actually my my background uh, as archaeology. Uh, I am, you know, always collaborating with Julie. Uh, I I live with her, and we teach a lot of overlap in our classes. So we do a lot of uh, trying out games together, and we 
design, you know, games for our classroom. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, you're all speaking my language. This is amazing. Um, by the way, I have to say, Steve, I have to put you on the spot just for one second. Go for it. You write the most amazing emails that I have ever <laughs> seen. And I feel bad about myself every single time I reply because I'm like, Steve is just a machine of information. And then like, I feel bad about like my three sentence responses back to you. I feel almost like shameful about it, you know? <laughs> if if that is my claim to fame, um, <laughs> I, my bar for myself should be much higher than that. The champion email writer doesn't uh, doesn't seem like it's going to be something that makes the epitaph or the or, or the, the highlight reel of my career. But thank indeed, you. <laughs> no, they're very thorough and very detailed. Um, so look, it's so nice having all you guys here. Um, this is the I think this is the the this is basically the show that has the most guests I think I've ever had in one sitting. So. Um, hopefully I'll be able to run this well, like a good DM or GM or whatever. So, um, how about we do this just to kind of, kind of get the ball rolling in terms of real casual. All right. Um, maybe I'll just throw this out there. What are some games you really enjoy? Why don't we just start super simple? And I don't know. Uh, who is interested in kind of starting. And by the way, you could, in theory, talk about maybe something recently that you've played or maybe something like really tried and true that, uh, you know, you want to throw out there. So who wants to take it? Well, I'll, I'll give a shot first. All right, Steve. Um, for me, um, a lot of my game playing nowadays is happening uh, online through BGA and Yukata. And some of those top games for me are um, midweight Euro games like um, Castles of Burgundy is uh, is perpetually on repeat. Um, I love tile placement games. Uh, so things like Patchwork, um, a new one that I just got and played I played with friends over the summer is called Gartenbau. And you're kind of laying out your own little tableau. I like that that kind of emerging game where you can see that you've built something in front of you at the end of things. And I also like worker placement games. So um, Heaven and Ale, for example, uh, uh, has some of that where you're, well, that's, that's more tile placement, I guess. But um, some of that idea where you're activating a, a spot, you take an action, and then you can claim them back again afterwards. And uh, for me, there's also a, a soft spot for a good co-op, one where you can really get together. And, and that was one of the things that first blew my mind about modern board games. We can play together against the game. The game is the opponent. And we have to work together and not lose. Blew my mind the first time I played Pandemic, and that just opened up the world for me. Yeah, that's a particularly good one, for sure. Right. Julie, Houston? Uh, I was also going to say Pandemic right off the bat. Steve introduced us to that recently. We borrowed his game for what was, I think, planned to be maybe a week and ended up being a month, a month and a half. And now I've Got my own copy that I just got for Christmas. Oh, nice. Uh, collaborative games or cooperative games. Um, I hadn't really gotten to play them before. And it just opened up a whole new uh, love of, of playing games for me. Uh, I, I, I like the competitive games, but I've never been a super competitive person. So I like that opportunity to still engage in the game and have some some kind of win scenario, but be working with other people. Yeah. 
Wait, I have a quick question, Julie. So when you say like competitive games, are there any that jump out at you that you really like? Like something that really kind of, you, you kind of get immersed in it and you, you want to take people out. Yes. Uh, so it's become a tradition now at New Year's Eve. My brother brings over Whitehall, uh, which is, is also somewhat a cooperative game. It's an, an asymmetrical game. There's one person who's Jack the Ripper and then everybody else is trying to catch Jack the Ripper. Oh, yeah. Last New Year's, I was Jack the Ripper, and I have never been more stressed in my life, but I won. Yeah. It's a great feeling. So is it like everybody's trying to kind of hunt you, and you're trying to hide? Yes. So it's a a hidden movement game. Jack the Ripper has a map and gets to to move around secretly, and the, uh, the detective's will move around trying to find clues. They can tell if Jack the Ripper has been in the location where they are, uh, and they try and narrow down based on knowing where he's committing murders and how long ago that's been, where he could possibly be now. Yeah, that's no, awesome. I just, I just had an idea that the title of this episode should be like, who's the actual Cylon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, totally, totally. Steve? I was just going to say that the... the the audience is missing out on the video when you ask Julie about, is there any game that you play that's competitive? That missing Houston's head nodding almost off of his neck uh, <laughs> was, was, was a perfect moment. Indeed, indeed. Well, there is, you know, there is something to be said because I, I do want to hear from Houston, but there is something to be said. It's like, you know, when you game with people a lot, you know, I, I do feel like you get that sort of connection. You know what I mean? Whether you're just friends or in a relationship or whatever, you know? So there is, because again, I, I'm looking at Scott's face this entire time because I feel like I know what he's going to talk about when it's his chance, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, but he, well, uh, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, Kelly, it's always, Jared, it's always the Cylon. <laughs> always the Cylon. So I don't, look, people, I don't, I don't know what this says about me. It, like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to intellectualize this for one second, right? It's probably from years of running Vampire the Masquerade where essentially... Like, I have to take on lots of roles, and most of the time, deception is involved. But I don't know how to say this other than just, I'm, a, I'm just really a good liar. I, I, don't, I don't know what, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, Kelly, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm dragging you into the mud here as the co-host <laughs> of the show. But I do lie really well. Oh, no. And uh, I do feel somewhat bad about it. Keyword being somewhat. <laughs> you know, Houston, what about you? Uh, yeah, so thank you, Steve, for putting out my reaction there. Uh, I was uh, remembering last New Year's Eve playing that game uh, and how intensely stressed Julie got trying to hide from us. Um, experience I haven't had to have yet because we were supposed to play it this year. We haven't had a chance to yet. It's my turn to be Jack the Ripper, and I'm a horrible liar. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, in terms of games that I've been enjoying lately, we actually just got the game Wingspan. Um and played it for the first time last night, our first playthrough. And I, I'm ready to play it again right now. I, I'm hopefully we have time to play it today, at least twice or three mm-hmm. times. Um, I do love that game. I love the, the images of the birds. As a you know, Sony consists with a scientist, seeing the birds and their genus and species name on there, and the beautiful illustrations, and the, just the engine building, and just learning all the little things you can do. I'm very excited to continue playing that game. Jamie's games are amazing, and a huge shout out. Well, to Jamie, obviously, because he's been on the show before. But again, Steve, you were, if my memory serves right, you were the one that made that suggestion and that connection yeah. um, regarding, you know, Jamie and all of his games. 
And Elizabeth's gaming uh, game design is Elizabeth Hargrave is just yeah. wonderful and often has a naturalist scientist theme to it. Um, with wingspan and and mariposas about the uh, migration of butterflies and the fox experiment about domestication of uh, of foxes built by Belyaev, just fantastic stuff she does. Yeah, it's it's also the the games are just beautiful. All their games yes. are beautiful, right? Um, and yeah, he's he's an interesting dude. Like he came on again. He's so busy. I mean, I think we chatted for about a half hour, but he talked a little bit about what it's like, kind of like owning a game company, you know. And dude, look. I see his games, or really all the authors' games. Um, I mean, they're at like Barnes and Noble at this point, so that must you know be a, a really cool feeling for them, you know. So, Scott, you're up. Yeah. Uh, so what do you, what's your go-to, Scott? What do you like? I mean, traditionally, and I think this is like most of the gaming we've done over the years. I love any type of role-playing game. I love collaborative storytelling. I love making characters. I love seeing how I could mess things up with terrible choices, which I always make. Um, so, you know, I games I'm playing now, I still play two weekly D&D games, which uh, we do over Zoom, just like this little boxes. And I have to say, it's transformed my life. It's made things so much easier because I have a little family, two kids. So now instead of having to, like, you know, tell the family I have to go game for five hours, I'm able to jump onto here and be able to get two hours in of the session. Fantastic. Now, for all the listeners out there, if you have a chance, I want you to email Mr. Fishman over here and tell him <laughs> to do a podcast on his vampire because that is really how you kind of suck me into this game of world. <laughs> um, and talking about it being a great liar, not that you have to buy in that game, uh, but it is, that is really what connected to me. Such a, such a rich story. Uh, you know, I, I tried to be talked about Vampire at all on any of these podcasts. So it's actually kind of funny you bring that up. So um, Kelly and I actually had, it's a little bit of a complicated story. They, they tell it better than I'll be able to recount. There's a group called Gehenna Gaming. Um, and Kelly and I remember Kelly, we, what was that? Maybe a week yeah, ago. Yeah, it was like a week ago. We had them on and uh, I was able to extract some stories from everyone's uh, experiences. <laughs> yeah, they, they're a very interesting group. They started just as a regular vampire group, right? Of people playing the old white wolf vampire, the masquerade game. And what they, they did was they kind of transformed that into a company and essentially long, long story short, They'll hire out, like, they have a group of people that work with them. So, like, for example, at PAX, they hired out, like, 25 storytellers. And they really ran all of the, the vampire games, the werewolf games, all of that in one of the rooms at PAX Unplugged. Um, they, and they do a lot of other things. They're actually coming out with... Um, their own game. A, their own game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Kelly, if you can dig that Actually, name I up. I could find that really yeah, quick. Yeah, but they're, they're coming out with a game on January 2nd. Um, so they have, a, they have a lot going on. So, so again, uh, Scott, there will be an episode that will drop on here about that company. And we just talked endlessly about vampire. So for those of you that are listening out there, it could be that the episode's already out, but if, you know, so, I mean, if it is, or it isn't, the bottom line is you can, you can get some, some info about, uh, vampire, the masquerade, if you so desire. But yeah, I agree, Scott. I mean, I love those games too. Kelly, I think it's worth you jumping in too, man. Like, yeah, yeah. And to kind of give them a, a shout out. Um, yeah, do it. Their Kickstarter starts January 2nd for their upcoming um, action horror ta tabletop role-playing game, Eldritch Automata. Yeah, and by the way, for all those people listening out there, no, you can't have them. Kelly's ours, right? <laughs> this, is, this is your show too, Kelly. Yeah, I don't yeah. want you being poached, you know? <laughs> but Oh, you like my pitches? 
I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But, uh, I'll record our next, uh, our next sponsorship. Yeah, but here's the <laughs> thing, though. More importantly, though, Kelly, um, yes. what games do you like? Games do I like? Yeah. Whether it's a recent thing or a uh, previous to recent thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, board games are always like a fun, fun little bit for me. Um, I know I've been playing a lot of all, all the King's Men, which was that like fourteen dollars used game I picked up at uh, at PAX, which is basically like chess but with less pieces. And um, the pieces, I mean, they have their movement, but it's really the the board that tells you where you can move because each tile has like a movement. Like, hey, you could go to left, right, like diagonal or whatever. So that was really I've been playing a lot of that. Um, but discovering that games can be co-op. <laughs> I've been really interested and fascinated by that. So like the aliens game in the background, like I'm, I'm want to get into that. Uh, I got alien faded in Stromo. So, you know, yeah. that, that sci-fi alien thing, right? Yeah. Um, that's I a watched aliens. Game. I just watched aliens the other night, or should I say I fell asleep and I had nightmares all night, <laughs> you know, about <laughs> it, but such a great movie. You um, know? but yeah, in terms of like board games, that's, you know, I, I think it's the, uh, co-op stuff, um, cool. that, that I'm into. I mean, right. the game that we played the, uh, um, the other night was fantastic. Oh, Sentinels of the Multiverse? Sentinel, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I don't know if anybody's... Point. I, I can't say enough um, how much I love that game. So, And I just got Very a few cool. thumbs up there. I mean, I, uh, have, you, have you all played that before? Yeah, I've played Sentinels. It's great. Uh, it's, like, uh, it's not in a particular comics universe other than the one that they've made, but it's exactly. basically you, you see comic characters that are uh, that have the powers... Yeah, card based play, very very clever game, and uh, you know, kind of like I talk about my buddy Corey, who kind of invented the gaming mat phenomenon. I don't know, like I'm just saying that all those other comic book games that are kind of like that are kind of like that. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and yeah. Sentinels was really one of the first games to have that whole kind of you know deck building system and kind of like a one stop shop, other than the expansions and things. You know, which yes. I always like. You know. So I can't help but ask this question, right? And this is where hopefully guests don't get too nervous, you know. All right, so the teacher and me, what I've noticed here is we've talked about the kinds of games that we like, right? So so our listeners out there probably have a sense of who all of you are based on those games, right? But maybe we should cut to the core just a, li a, little, a little bit more. So we've got, what, six different people and you know, in this interview right now, we all probably come from different places, have different backgrounds and things along those lines. Yet we're all sort of drawn together by these games, right? So I guess my question would be, we've talked about the individual games that you like. So here's the simple question. What draws you to them? What, what is it that draws you, whether it's a co-op game or a Jack the Ripper game or a comic book game or a game about disease like Pandemic or Aliens? What is it that draws us into these different worlds. I can give you an example if you guys need some time to think. I mean, so just for me, I I always was a creative person, and I know how I know how that sounds. Like, sounds a bit arrogant, but I don't know. I was always the kind of kid that like I could sit on my bed and play with busted up, broken GI Joes, and in my head, there's a whole story. You know, there's a whole thing happening in my head, and. I never really wanted to be a writer. I mean, I was always an academic writer, but the way that I tell my stories are through games. And, and I know that in the same way that I do it with music as well. 
So for me, it doesn't really matter what kind of game it is, as long as there's a story that I can recount. So for example, you know, hopefully I don't have dementia in 30 years and I can tell like my niece how Scott was a Cylon in Battlestar Galactica last night and didn't realize that I was and threw me in the brig. And we lost the game because of that. Because if I wouldn't have been brigged, I would have helped him destroy the ship. But that didn't happen. You're that deceptive, Jared. That is not my fault. You, were, you just played it too well. I, but you I get no my idea. point, though, right? <laughs> that's so for me, that's what it is about games. That's what I know that it, in a lot of ways, that's what draws me in. Now, Scott, I mean, sorry, now, Steve, your hand went up immediately. Yeah. Go for it. It's, it's going to be kind of the flip side of yours, honestly. Um, when I first got into games, I was looking for those thematic games where there was story and there was. Um, I felt like I was playing a character and I could see the arc of a tale emerging. And as I've played more and more, the, the theme of a game doesn't matter to me as much so, so, much, uh, so much anymore. Um, it's more of a setting. It's more aesthetic. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I'm traveling around the world fighting disease when I'm playing Pandemic. Uh, I, I can get in, absorbed in the mechanics of the game. So I've become more and more interested in um, does the game, number one, is it fun? Am I enjoying it? Um, and usually if the game's not great, but I'm playing with the right people, it'll still be fun. So I can find fun usually just about anywhere in a game. But what I look for nowadays in the game is a, is, um, a game that lets me play with choices. Um, oh, yeah. I want to have options. I want to try and not just get, you know, stew in them, like figuring out what's the absolute best thing to do but kind of get in, in a little bit intuitive and say, I think this could work and see if it happens that way. Um, and I've gotten more and more that way since reading some of the philosophy of gaming. Um, uh, uh, C. Tai Nguyen calls games um, yoga for your agency. It's like you're practicing, stretching, choosing, and seeing if things, and you get stronger at it as it goes along. So what I want is interesting choices that will be fun to play with. I love that answer. I love that last bit, right? It is the decisions. Yeah. And I know, Kelly, this has come up when we've talked about wargaming. It's like, yeah. I mean, there's the, look, beer and pretzels games are fun. And again, for if you're a listener that doesn't care about wargaming and you're listening for this to this episode for other reasons, I'll just throw in there, right? Beer and pretzels really means, you know, at the beginning of a tabletop game, you get a, like a one-page sheet and all the rules are on there and you just sort of go. And there's something that could be really fun about that. But I agree with um, Steve in, in the sense that I want to be having to make choices. I, 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 I need four or five different options in my head and then have to kind of go with one of them and then accept the consequences that go with that. So I'm, I'm totally on board with that. What about other folks in the space? Well, I think that Steve kind of... Oh, sorry to skip over you, Scott. I just saw your hand go up as I started talking. Um, Steve had a much more eloquent and researched version of what I was going to say, which is I, I love puzzles. I've always loved puzzles. And I think that games are puzzles. They have, you know, the aesthetic that they bring, they have the particular mechanics, and then you learn those mechanics. And within those constraints, you try and solve the puzzle of how do I make the best choices to either win myself or to cooperate to, to beat the game. By the way, Julie, when you say puzzles, are you talking about like traditional puzzles? Like meaning when you were growing up, did you kind of 
Because I think it is a game, right? Puzzle putting them together and stuff. I wasn't thinking jigsaw puzzles, but okay. I did those. I did word game puzzles. Um, cool. I liked linguistics when I was in college because it's essentially puzzles about language. I, I like all kinds of puzzles. I think what I think what triggered me there with that word is when we were at PAX. Uh, um, I don't know, Kelly, if you saw, but there were actually people oh. playing competitive puzzle making. I don't know that if you saw see. that or not. It was like, it, it's the same kind of brain headache that I got from talking to Will Anderson, right? <laughs> uh, the Scrabble guy. I yeah. don't know if that episode has been been posted yet or not because, um, you know, I never know when these come out. But um, yeah, like it was just one of the most wild things I've ever seen. Like somebody like moving at light speed, like putting a puzzle together. And for me, it's like I yeah. just sit there and stare and it's like it just gives me a headache, you know? <laughs> So uh, you're not having like the beautiful mind, like, uh, Oh no, the farthest thing out. from that. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. me personally, no, I'm sure the folks that do them though, I'm sure that there's an element of that, you know, to it. Now, Kelly. Yeah. Before you we wanna go, go on, yeah, I have yeah, a question ahead. for, for everyone. Cause the, this word has popped up a few times and it, it's become more apparent to me as I kind of delve more into this kind of side of gaming is the word aesthetic, right? Like what does aesthetic mean to everyone when you talk about like, ooh, this game interests me because of its aesthetics? Is that a design element or is that like more a mechanical element? It's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I can I can say this like very quickly, right? Um, for me, aesthetics matter a lot in most things, you know? I mean, look, um, Les Paul's, play great, you know, meaning as a guitar, like they're great sounding instruments. Well, let's just be honest. They're also really, really, really sexy. <laughs> and it's just like, I, like, I just want it, you know, I have an old, uh, they're called uh, Gibson lawsuit guitars. So in Japan, like companies like Ibanez, they used to make um, really, really high quality, less Paul looking guitars um, until they got sued because they they literally just took too much of the design elements. And I have an old one from the 70s. It's just sexy. Like, even if it didn't play nice, like, I would still want it, you know? That I, and I feel that way about games, too. It's like going to a historical gaming convention. It's like, it's a terrible game, but the figures are beautiful. And it's like, all right, I'll sit here and play this, you know? So, I don't know who wants to chime in with that question. Steve, do you want to chime in? I saw Houston react strongly to the Les Paul uh, there, so I want to I want to leave room for the for the stringheads to the chat. No, absolutely, Houston, do you play? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about? I, I know, I know exactly what you're yeah, talking. about. it's just sexy. Yeah, and I would love to have a lawsuit, Eric. One, so you don't just. <laughs> No, they're they're great guitars. Um, mm -hmm. You just have to. I, apparently, again, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent here, but um, like the quality of those '70s guitars that were made in Japan, they're all hit or miss. So it's like you kind of have to take that financial risk, uh, and then hope if it doesn't sound great. I mean, you can leave it on the wall, but you might have to sell that to get a different one. You know what I mean? So. But uh, they are very, very, very nice. I'll post a, a photo of mine. Actually, there is one on, on the Instagram page. So for 20-side gamified fans, there's a picture of me lulling my niece to sleep with one <laughs> of them uh, from the other day. So, Cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, back to the concept of aesthetics. Yeah. 
Uh, and I do. I don't want to have lose the other um, stuff because I don't think Scott and, and Houston had a chance to reply on the other one yet. But just a quick response on aesthetics. It means to me, good art, good feel, um, good components, and that can enhance a game, but it will never save a bad game. Mm. You can you can wallpaper over as much as you want, make it gorgeous and beautiful, but if it, if the mechanics underneath, if the gears don't hit. If they grind, um, nobody's artwork is going to save that. So for me, that that helps make it more immersive to some extent. Like Wingspan, if, it, if the game works, great. But if you've got Beth Sobel's art on the cover and you've got all that other stuff that draws you in with those Audubon-looking, you know, quality, wonderful bird paintings, that just makes it deeper for me. But it's not, it's not the go-to have to. If I'm walking, like, you know, past, you know, gameplay, it will catch my attention, but the game has to keep my attention. So, so it's a gateway, kind of almost. It, it's yeah, it's it's yeah. a way into the game, and it should keep you. It should sustain you through the game um, and keep you paying attention to all the things around you. But it's also tactile because the pieces need to you know clink together nicely. Um, you know, some Azul is a game that has very little art. It's all patterns, but those chunky little you know um, starburst looking. Bakelite like plastic things are just fantastic. Um, and that is aesthetic to me. That's that's feel. That's that's um it's the beauty of it, I guess. Scott, you've been waiting so patiently. I just want to point that out. Well, we are with people who have some wonderfully interesting things to say, so I like <laughs> listening. Um so I think for me now, I hope this doesn't go a little too deep. So um, I know if you may have heard the story. So for the one of the reasons I really like role playing was I had and still have a major speech impediment. And I've had it since I was like two years old. So I was in speech therapy most of my life. And with that comes inside, right? Um, speaking in front of others, being able to communicate. Um, do they understand me? These kind of questions. And for me, kind of role playing is a way to get outside of that headspace, right? I didn't have to really necessarily think about, oh, what's Scott said? It's, hey, I'm this character, and I'm in the moment of being a character, somebody else. You know, me, but at the same time, away from it. So um, I think for me, that's definitely something that drew me to those types of games. And I also also say that creativity is a huge part of that as well. Um, I G.I. Joe battles when I was little all the time, you know, big stories. uh, So I I completely understand the aspect. Julie in Houston? Yeah, so kind of going off what Scott just brought up, uh, for me, games are great because I have a lot of social anxiety. And having a structured way to get together with a group of people that has kind of goal that we can have fun with, that I don't have to like worry about holding up a conversation or those kinds of things. Uh, I think that's really what drew me to games was like, oh, I can get together with people I don't know, people I do know. We can have good experiences. Um, we can enjoy something together. And I don't have to do, it can turn to something more than that, but I don't have to do more than that. No, totally. I, I very much identify with that as well. And, um, you know, here's the thing. Again, like now I admitted that I lie very well. So I, I try as hard as I can to be genuine about this. And no one ever believes me, right? Um, parties are terrifying to me. Like I come off as a very social person. Um, and when I say what I'm about to say, most of the time people are like, I, I, I just don't believe you. Look, I went to a Christmas party at my place of employment and uh, recently, right? So I've been at the school. This is my second year there. And I know plenty of people. 
but in Houston, this is what I'm, I'm connecting with what you just said. And in a way, Scott, with you as well, it's like I walked into that party. My wife went into the room next door because I'm allergic to dogs and she loves dogs. And one of our coworkers has this big old dog named Zeus who's absolutely adorable. And everybody was kind of hanging out over there. And I walked into this gathering alone. And in all seriousness, all I kept thinking was, why is there not a game here that I could just sit down and like feel normal? It was terrifying to me. So like I, I, for both of you guys, like first I appreciate those answers. Cause I think listeners of this show, I think, um, they love honesty, you know, and I, I think there there is real genuineness to both those responses. And yeah, like there is something about games, huh? Like there is something about it in which I don't know. It's it's now I'll get a little deep. I don't know. Like, is our true self what comes out in the game is or is our true self, you know, having the speech impediment or moving into a space and being terrified or or not wanting to socially interact? Like it's it's hard for me to tell sometimes because all I know is this. And I say this all the time when I run seminars and workshops. When you put dice into somebody's hand, they do change. So when I started teaching 20 years ago as like a sub, I really mean this. Like I just pretended I was somebody else. I pretended that I was role playing. And once I did that, I was like, oh my God, not only is this easy, but it's fun. You know what I mean? So take that for what it is. I mean, Kelly? maybe maybe not to be um, too philosophical, but maybe it just removes your conscious self and connects you more to your uh, uh, subconscious self. You know, just remove that element of social anxiety, right? Everything that, yeah. the way you well, think everyone interacts with you and then yeah, delve deep to the things that really fascinate you and yeah. uh, bring you to who you are. Well, Kelly, thankfully... You know, it's like one of those things where, you know, when you're playing a role-playing game here, we'll, we'll do a vampire quick analogy, right? You know, if you ever play that game, it's like something really weird in the domain happened. And it's like, is there a Nosferatu around that I could talk to to get a little information? So what I was just thinking is, I wish we had somebody with a background in psychology in I mean. this space. <laughs> and it's like, oh, we do. Uh, so on that note, Steve, I don't know if you want to take it away here, but... Maybe you can help us with some of the musings that we've all started to kind of eke our way into regarding, you know, um, the psychology of gaming, maybe. Oh, Jared, it's almost like you paid attention and, and saw our, <laughs> our presentation at the Center for Teaching and Learning last year. We talked a lot about this, and it is philosophical, it is psychological, but for me, it kind of comes down to something that one of the philosophers of this said um, Heisenga, that games give us kind of what the, what he called a magic circle. You step outside of real life, and in this new space, you're allowed to be a different you. You follow the rules. The rules are binding. The game says there are things that you can and can't do. But so long as the rules are not violated and the spirit is followed, this world is a safe, different place to explore. Um, and I don't know if that means you become your real you or a different you, but you are building connections to the other people that are genuine. And even when you when you finish the game and step back outside of the circle, that community doesn't fade. Um, not just like you'll be able to say the next time you see that other person, remember that one time when you were a Cylon and I don't know if I trust you anymore, that the game wasn't real, but in the moment it was. But now you have a real connection with that other person. So that, I think, really captures it for me. The idea that it's a safe place to explore different ways to be. 
And we all agree that it's okay to be that way here. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, for me, and I don't know if anybody else wants to jump in, if we really want to kind of get into the weeds here. I mean, look, um, I know why, like when I run vampire games, I know why they're as depraved as they are. It's because everybody makes fun of me. Like at work, I'm the TV dad. I'm like the guy when if you're having <laughs> trouble, you come and talk to Fishman, right? You go find him because he'll, he'll listen. You know, not to say that I'm not stern when I need to be or... um you know what I mean? We all do. I mean, you're all, everybody's a teacher here, you know, to some, to some extent. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm just incredibly nice day to day. So I think that when I play something like vampire, some of those darker thoughts that it might be kind of swimming around in my brain, they start to pop out, you know, uh, I don't like, I mean, I shouldn't say that I do like D and D and Scott, your brother, I'll, 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 you know, name drop Mike here on the show. He really is like, I think one of the best uh, D&D DMs that I know. And I love his games, but there's just something about playing the hero that just doesn't appeal to me. I think what appeals to me is to play the guy in the gutter or the person in the gutter, you know? I, if, that, I, if that makes sense. And I don't know if anybody wants to jump in, but... Yeah, can I just point out that Houston has just been grinning <laughs> this entire time? <laughs> Apparently, Houston, you have a very emotive face. Because that, yeah, yeah, you, I guess you say a lot with your expressions. And this is why I can't lie. This is why I can't <laughs> conceal anything about myself. Well, how do you feel about this? Like some of these points that have been brought up. Not to put you on the spot, but. So I was, I was thinking, and maybe he says mm-hmm. the same thing since we're both anthropologists. I was thinking about the uh, concept in anthropology of rituals of reversal, which are, uh, rituals or, you know, just events, ceremonies, anything where the rules kind of go out the window and you do the opposite of what the normal norms are. And I think games can kind of be that for us. Although I was, I also have to say, I was thinking about playing Knights of the Old Republic and how I would decide at the beginning of a playthrough, I'm going to be a dark Jedi this time. I could not do it. I could never, could never make those choices to, you know, murder the civilians. <laughs> and I always ended up being a light side Jedi. That's what I like about you. Don't like, <laughs> yeah. you like that I haven't gone to the dark side. Yeah. Thank you. No, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and I guess like, you know, it's funny. I have my Star Wars mug, you know, here that I'm, you know, it's a little Christmas gift or whatever. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it is, it is just kind of interesting. You know, a lot of times like in our society, we look at Darth Vader as like uh, almost... He's almost like the cool character. He's but until you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Until you stop and say to yourself, wait a minute, like this was like a, essentially like an abducted child who was turned into a general who was told you need to be a general, but you can't like killing. And then he ends up killing children. And a lot hey, of so times, like we get drawn to that character, you know, but yeah. so, but, but Julie, it sounds like you don't, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, not to necessarily change the subject, but I'd be curious if you guys as a, I guess we could use the word faculty, right? I mean, I wonder if it's okay for us to change gears slightly and talk a little bit about WCC because it really is kind of a, I don't know what the right word would be, maybe almost like, almost like a Mecca of some sort, like, not in a religious sense, but it just seems like a lot of gaming happens there. And I mean, obviously, it's because of the four of you. But I'm sure there's other 
uh, places in the school where these kinds of things happen. So I, I'd be curious if anybody wants to kind of take that and talk a little bit about what gaming looks like on WCC's campus, if that's cool. You want to take that, Scott? Yeah, so uh, I think from this aspect, I'll talk a little about the Gaming Guild, uh, which I mentioned cool. earlier, which is a, a club. And again, as I said, we kind of do tabletop games, role-playing games, board games, you name it, uh, we kind of play. So, and again, Jared, this is all because of you. Um, once you got me into this, I used to work at a different community college in Jersey, and I uh, decided that I wanted to advise the gaming club they had there. And it was a blast, had a great time. And then I started 2018 at WCC, and I was kind of clubless, and I noticed there was not a club. But I did notice there were lots of gamers. Um, you go to the tech lounge at Knowledge Building Math Fest there. There were people playing Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, a lot of country, uh, card trading games, things like that. And I found some willing students because they were very willing. And we started this club in 2018. And it was a boom period. We had students kind of come in. It was, a, I will say, a little disorganized at first. I've never run a club that big. We didn't know where we wanted to kind of dip our toes in. Um, but people were having a great time. Fast forward, pandemic hits, and I think our club almost went under, as many of the clubs and organizations at the school and a lot of the student body, right? Everyone's disconnected now. How do you bring community in at this point? Um, and I will say, skated by, Jared, you ran some events for us over Zoom, uh, if you remember those. And, I and, do, you know, yeah. It was kind of sad, though, because, you know, that momentum we had just stopped. Um, and then we started back up in spring of 2000. When did we come back? Spring 2021? Is that when we kind of really hit the floor? Was that around that time? Um, and I had three officers and I remember sitting in a room with them. And it was literally like the five of us because there weren't a lot of students back on campus yet. It was just us. And we would play the same board games every single week. And we just kind of stare at each other like, wow, um, I, we love this, but it is, you know, there's no one around us. And that spring, we went to the award ceremony they had for all the clubs on campus. And some clubs did some fantastic things, and they got brought up. They won awards. And, my, and the officers we had looked at each other and looked at me, and they said, we want this. This is what we want. We want to be up there. Um, and very you know, game-like, very Game of Thrones, I believe, would say they started <laughs> putting strings out and started to play those strings. I pulled those strings. And then... That fall semester, I had Steve reach out to me uh, via email. I'm like, oh, this is an interesting email. And I love people. I love playing with people. And I will say the best thing for the club is, Steve, thank you for joining us. Your expertise in board gaming has been unbelievable. Like Jared, you should see him. He comes in. He teaches games. He gets people into things. He's bouncing from one group to another group. And it's so natural. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. I sit oh, there. Totally. I go, wow. I, I could never do this. Like, So we complement each other really well. And our officers last night, we have a great group this year as well. But they really took that goal of theirs and they went in at first. Steve, if you want to add to that, I mean, it kind of talk maybe about what they did and where we ended up. No, uh, well, thank you for that, Scott. That's very, that's very kind. It was, it was um, a, a great fit for me to come in and feel like there was a, there was already a, a plowed field, a, a paved road to, to travel on. Um, that officer group really did take the ball and run with it. And they didn't just, have their regular weekly meetings where people could come and play games, but they scheduled all kinds of events. We had historical um, uh, war games come in. They did D and um, D one shots for people around the campus who hadn't played role playing games before, but had seen an episode of Stranger Things and wanted to try one. Um, and then they ended the the year with a massive Twilight Tavern event where we brought all kinds of people from across the campus in. I think we had sixty or seventy folks at that last event. Um, 
So that was really a testament to those officers really leading and showing that if you had that, that momentum, the community will show up. The community is there. It just needs to be unified in some way. Um, we went, uh, met with the officers and went to PAX Unplugged uh, one year. They went and did some touring around and bought all their sets of dice. And we got uh, a game and we, we wrote a review of it and posted it on, our, on the Board Game Gumbo blog. They got some, some chances to experience what it was like to be content providers, too. Um, so I think that really was the growth. It was a lot of little things happening in the right order. And then you just add crokinole and everything was good. Yeah. And also what I love about that sort of combined story there about, you know, the the game club is think about all the skills that the students are sort of getting from just yes. having to put everything together. And then it sort of carries over, you know, hopefully like, you know, when they're when they're out of the school, you know. Absolutely. And you're probably asking the question, did they win Club of the Year? And the answer is <laughs> absolutely. We're so proud of them. They and they won multiple awards. They uh they really did themselves in a wonderful position and uh they had a wonderful night and uh yeah we won club beer so it was a big achievement for all of us i think that's pretty awesome very very cool how did it feel scott because i know Uh, again like you know you've been you've been it's the long haul for you specifically yeah i mean listen i they gave us this beautiful glass kind of award and i felt steve and we split this it's our baby but i felt like i was giving my child away because it had been in my office since we had it but (laughs) this 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 special like steve you got it's your turn you gotta you know display this so i handed it over then part of me was like, man i love that award uh <laughs> but it's, it's a shared combination so you know absolutely so display proudly steve it's up there so again like uh you know hopefully uh because i know we have a lot of people in here but i i do have one quick question for for you two specifically so what's the club up to at this point like what have you guys been like you know running events or is there a particular game that uh you know you've introduced that they really like or What's been what's been happening? Well, it's been more traditional um, coming together for gameplay to begin cool. with. Um, we do have events on the horizon that they want to take that same model of having that Twilight Tavern be the big finish of the year. Um, but new officers need to find their legs. And yeah. um, we didn't want them to necessarily feel like they had to follow in the same pathway. So they've been exploring what they want to do a little bit differently in the spring. Um D&D and other role-playing games are still present. Um, we're bringing regular board games in. Uh, believe it or not, one game that I, I'm just shocked has turned out to be a hit is um, a game called Ice Cool, which, if you say it quickly, becomes high school. Awesome. Um, it's, it's a dexterity game with these little weeble penguins that you flick around um, trying to go through um, different doors into different rooms, and you're like one of you is the vice principal trying to catch the the other penguins that are skipping class. That's pretty I brought funny. that one time as a goof, and when I didn't bring it back the next time, they said, "Hey, where are the penguin? Where's the penguins gang?" Um, it just funny. lived there all all fall rather than coming back to my office. They just that would come out. It's gonna, let's let's play penguins. Um, so rather than imposing and saying oh, we're going to do it this way, they kind of discover new things, and yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jared, I think that's important for Steve and I when we advise. We don't want to be the one saying, do this, do that. This is what was done previously. Um, we're always willing to give some advice. But, you know, as a community college, you know, most of our students are there for two years, three years, and then they are kind of going on to their next steps in their lives, be it a job or be it more education. Um, so we kind of have a quick turnover. But, you know, to me, that's kind of the fun part, right? You get new people, new ideas, um, and there's some tradition. But at the same time, you know, what are they interested in? What can we help them? 
explore within, you know, kind of this gaming world that we kind of helped run. Is it possible for like alumni to come back in game or do you have to be a student at the time to really play? I'm just curious. Yeah, so technically you have to be uh, at currently plus. Yep. Got it. But our have, officers, have, our former officers are still there on Discord channel to be there as kind of like almost elders. Um, and, and so they do rely on them for advice and feedback and to say, well, what problems do we have when we had to fill out this form or what have you? And that's kind of, that, that creates some legacy there. Even though there is a one to two year turnaround, they can still feel a continuity. Have alumni, uh, when they move on, like when they graduate or move on to a job or another school, um, do they kind of rebuild their game clubs? Do they stay in contact with like maybe some friends that they've met in the local community and make a game club that, I mean, for, for all intents is sort of like an affiliate, right? Like connected to this, this main club there. That's a great question, Kelly. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone's reached out to me to let me know if they've started a game club. I know it's definitely been talked about, like, oh, I hope they have a game club at the school I'm going to. Um, I will say something Steve and I have talked about, and like, you know, just throwing the seeds out there. It's like, we would love to do a small kind of like SUNY, kind of like grab some schools around the area, and bring them in to kind of run, you know, kind of a game con, different games, have kind of a keynote speaker. Um, I think that would be a blast. I think that would be Really fun, and oh, uh, Jared, I might, I might call you if that happens. Well, I was just, I was just going to sort of make a joke, you know. I mean, it'd be amazing if you had, uh, you know, someone, you know, to maybe like podcast about it, or maybe a nonprofit organization that could kind of help bring some schools together. Kelly, do you know of an organization like that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it, joking aside, no, it's a really cool idea. I mean, I think there's, well, I think two things. One, there's probably ad hoc uh, game clubs all throughout SUNY. Look, I, I I feel very confident saying this. I don't think they do it the way that you guys do it. Because what you've done is you've really made it institutional. Whereas, you know, you might have people playing D&D on a campus, but they don't have the two of you. Now, I don't know, maybe there are more folks out there, but, but I do know that what WCC is, is doing is very deliberate, which I think is a good thing. So, people, we're at about almost the hour mark. What I'm wondering in terms of like a final, because again, there's, I mean, we could talk forever, but in terms of like a final set of questions, and I know, Steve, when you were on uh, last time, we we did get a chance to talk a little bit about this, um, but maybe we could do a little bit more of a of a dive. I'm curious about how some of you use games in your classrooms. And I know, again, I, I always hate putting people on the spot. I, Julie, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you had mentioned maybe before we had started um, to, you know, to talk a little bit about this. Am I wrong on that or right? I hope I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, All right. Now I don't feel weird. All right. <laughs> I, I think anthropology is an interesting area to teach with games because there are really a lot of different ways that games intersect with the subject. You can teach about games in other cultures. Uh, you can use games to, to demonstrate ideas, to educate about anthropology. And then also there are anthropologists doing research by having people play games and seeing how people in different cultures play games differently. 
Uh, that's actually something that Houston started actually bringing into our cultural anthropology classes. And then I shamelessly stole it from him in my own class. Uh, do you want to talk a little so bit about that? One thing in anthropology, we always teach in intro classes, like uh, cultural economics, how culture affects the way that you participate in economies, make decisions. Uh, so I have them play some economic games, like the ultimatum game, the dictator game. I can't give them real money to play with. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a fun way to see that they all, my decisions are not a rational, logical, rule-following decisions. I'm doing things that are influenced by my cultural background that I didn't realize I was doing. And I always love seeing students' fascination when they realize, oh, why am I giving half this money to someone? Why, why do they expect half? Why am I, you know, doing these things? Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. It's actually and really cool. Indeed. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe a, a, a good follow-up question might be, so it sounds like you've got some robust ideas about bringing games into the classroom. How often do you guys do it? Meaning, you know, I don't know, like, do you, do you play something once a unit or once a semester? How does that work? It, the answer is not as often as I would like. Um, and part of that is just the that the semester goes at and the number of things that you need to do each semester, I haven't had as much time as I would like to develop new games or find new games to bring in. Um, I brought in, there's a game, and I don't remember the name of the person who originated this game, but it was Cards Against Anthropology, uh, which is a great way to introduce students to what it is like to do fieldwork as a cultural anthropologist. It's, you know, just like Cards Against Humanity, you get scenarios like you're doing fieldwork and one of your informants' kids runs by being chased by a bear. What do you do? And that's a difficult question to answer, right? Like, do you go and try to save them from a bear and risk your life? Do you go alert someone else? You know, what, what do you do? But that's actually something that an anthropologist might need to to figure out in their field work. There are all kinds of really wild things that happen. So rather than have students try and like immediately generate what is the right thing to do in each of these situations, they can say, okay, I do a backflip to try to distract them. I sing the American national anthem. I chant cultural relativism over and over again. And they that was one of the things that in my course reflections this semester, they talked about, we played that at the beginning of the semester and they, they're still talking about it. So yeah. uh, not playing as often as I would like, uh, but uh, apparently having a bit of an impact. And that's really motivated me to try and spend this winter break trying to make some yeah. more games. You know, it's funny. If, if I could wave my magic wand and I've seen this happen quite often, I think you'll all appreciate this. You know, it's funny. Like when I think about, when I think about, um, I don't know, maybe, you may be using the phrase like a mainstream teacher, maybe somebody who is a phenomenal educator, but, you know, is, you know, kind of goes to the tried and true ways of doing things, you know? If only I could wave my magic wand and convince them that uh, the students are going to learn all of the material and they're going to remember it better if you do it in a gamified way, they're always so hesitant to do what you're doing, you know? So just as a quick example, unbelievable teacher that I work with at school who it's taken me a little bit of time to kind of uh, convince him of the, I guess, the efficiency of using a game in a classroom. And he started coming with me to Model UN and he kind of like pokes me and says, wow, like they're not being tested on any of this. They're just here because they want to be here and they're doing more work than they do in the classroom. 
so when we got back from Model UN at Princeton um, recently, he designed this dating game in which, um, and again, I'm going to totally butcher this, but in an AP, in an AP class, by the way, in an AP U.S. history class, it was all about trying to learn about this one particular abolitionist, and all the students were playing real life. Um, people that were alive in the 1840s and the 1850s. And he de designed this whole elaborate game where it was almost like speed dating from back in the day where you go from chair to chair interviewing. So half the class is this one particular abolitionist and the other half are all of these other, you know, uh, I guess you could call them suitors, I guess you could say. The whole idea was to see whether or not you match up really well with the abolitionist. And again, like, you know, he came and found me and he's like, they really like it. You know, and they're learning everything. Like, why are they doing this work? And I, I just was like, this is what I've been trying to tell you for years, dude. Like, yes, they're going to do more. So again, like that's, so I guess what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded, circuitous way is Julie and um and Houston, what you guys are doing is great, you know? So like, the more games you can kind of get in there, they're going to learn everything you want them to know anyway, you know? And what um, a great way to set the tone too with a uh, Cards Against Anthropology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally fun. <laughs> the you whole know? semester. That's great. Yeah. Steve, go ahead, dude. Yeah, I love that. And and I, I love the idea of speed dating through history. I think that's just fantastic. The idea that in a short, sharp period of time, you've got to solve the problem of who this person is. That's yeah, that's back to that's back to a puzzle. That's back to what Julie was saying before. I have to try and figure this out. I have to solve this. If I ask the right question, I can know. Um what I've been doing, I've, I've been teaching predominantly intro classes, and time is of the essence. And there's a problem where you say, I know I need to cover these things, but can I sacrifice this time to be able to both teach a new game and have the game do its job? So I've been trying to use that more as the review um, and let yeah. that happen on their time where they gamify it. And it's only this year that I've now got a full set of review questions for all three units that I've done as review for Neanderthals, that thing that I mentioned for you on the previous podcast where you... The, the clues are all in single-syllable words. Right. And I've created them all. And there's now, instead of giving a study guide that says, these are the terms you need to know, I give them 90 to 100 riddles that they need to solve. They need to figure out from, from uh, one-syllable clues or, or strings of one-syllable words that, that kind of sound like cave speak, I suppose. Um, and I don't give them an answer guide. There's no answers. They have to find them because there should be, I tell them there should be productive struggle in this because if I tell you what the answers are, then they're my answers, not your answers. Um, and if they can't figure it out, then I will help them, but they need to take a pass through. And I have gotten informal feedback on that, that that helped them study differently because it's it's rather than giving them the, the process, I'm giving them skeleton, giving them structure and they can hang, they can hang things on that. Yeah, they're gonna remember the words uh, better by the through the way you're doing it, Steve. I and again, like I wish that somebody out there, because again, it's it's funny. I was talking um, to Jason Matthews about this, the guy who did uh, Twilight Struggle, right? He's putting together a team of essentially like PhDs and scientists to actually get the data to prove that Steve, they're gonna remember the words better because I know that they will, but I don't know if there's that set of data out there that really definitively says it, you know? Oh, you're muted, Steve. I muted myself as a... As a no, uh, that's okay. 
as a fire engine was going by and forgot to take it back off again. <laughs> gotcha. Cognitive psychology does have that research that says so. Yeah. Cognitive psychology says that if, if you put effort in and you create your own individual structure and you find meanings in what you're looking at, your memory lasts longer. And that's why I don't give study guides in the traditional fashion because then the effort is mine rather than the students. Yeah. And the meaning is mine rather than the students. So cognitive psycho, we, we Jason um, should dig into that literature because it's out there. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely there for memory and lasting memory. Yeah. So I'm looking at the time. Did we miss anything? I mean, is, were, were there things that you guys wanted to talk about that due to my ineptability to host a show, I didn't get to what you wanted to talk about? So now is the time. I will feel shame and it's completely fine. I can see, uh, again, you guys can't see it, but you know, we're in our little Zoom session. It looks like Julie and Houston, it looks like your hand is up. What do we miss? What do you want to talk about? I mean, maybe just games that we are looking at getting or have gotten that we haven't played yet that we're looking forward to. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Um, Kelly, so. where were you on that one, dude? Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, I was going to... One of my last questions was going to be something a little <laughs> bit more institutional about their Kelly, game. you realize I'm only picking at you. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That was a phenomenal question. Um, I don't know who wants to kind of go. I mean, I can say this. <laughs> I have been... For years, literally years at this point, every time I go into a game store and I see Hero Quest, I've been saying to myself, um, I really want to buy that, both for nostalgia purposes um, and also just because it's a really, really good game. It is shrink wrapped downstairs in my my den of gaming. So that would be my answer. I haven't played it in years, probably 20 or 30 years. Um, so that's definitely something that I'm ready to really kind of dive into. I don't know about other folks. I mean, just got through a holiday, got a couple new games. Um, so one that I am looking forward uh, to at least trying is a uh, city of the great machine. Um, what is that? But, uh, so I haven't played it yet, but it's not just me. So it's uh, asymmetrical where one person plays an AI uh, that rules a steampunk city. And then there are factions where people are, they have all their own motives and they're trying to overthrow this AI. And it's oh, that's cool. back and forth. As an anthropologist who's been trying to think of ways to play games that never say like ideas of power and uh, social stratification, I've been just looking forward to playing it to inspire me to come up with something classroom games. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. I mean, everything you're describing, I mean, it's not at all like what I'm about to say, it's not suitable for the classroom at all, but that sounds like Vampire the Masquerade right there. I don't know, Scott. I don't know if you want. I don't know if we should be corrupting um, WCC staff with uh, faculty with this game, but like that's literally. Vampire we have a very nice, brain. friendly environment. I love working with everyone here, so let's keep vampire. I think <laughs> out of WCC if we can. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, um, I, I think that sounds really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's amazing, uh, Houston. I think that's a lot of fun for me. I think you know, if my thing is time right i love role playing i'm usually not a dm or an st so i'm always like hey i kind of want to run a game but i'm also very meticulous so when i start making things i'm like this is taking so much time and maybe it's just because i don't do it often i know jared you have a system that works um and is very easy for you um and but that took years of experience right i think oh totally dude yeah yeah so i uh Steve actually shared an article with me that had some uh, basically their 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 phrase this no prep uh, role playing games or storytelling games. 
So I picked up two of those. And for Christmas, my brother actually got me a book of kind of like these 40 one shot kind of very easy to simple run storytelling games. So I kind of at some point dig into those. And for club, I would love to run one or two just to kind of get people in just role playing. Yeah. Also, I just want to point out um, uh, Scott is a ridiculously good DM, GM. I've played in his games before. He never takes credit for anything. Um, so I just want to point that out there, uh, Mr. Patorti. <laughs> any other any other folks here uh, that have a game that they really want to sort of dive into, but maybe haven't yet? I'd love to hear about the rest of the hall that Julian Houston got. Well, one of those games was Wingspan, which we played last night. There's also Dead of Winter, which I got for oh. Houston without really knowing what it is. Um, I One game that I have had for a long time, but have still never gotten to play, and I really want to, is Dialect, um, which is a, a short form, I think, role-playing game where you create a uh, a, a language which is going extinct and that's something that i teach about in linguistic anthropology and it 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 seems really relevant to teaching but i just have never actually gotten to play it very cool that sounds fun i love language so i mean i'm not particularly good at learning them but i do find them very fascinating especially dead ones so same here i'm (laughs) I'm terrible at learning them yeah but they are dead so i mean i guess it probably should be hard to learn you know what i mean we should be fair to ourselves. <laughs> um, Kelly, should I put you on the spot? Yeah, why not? Um, I, I feel very badly. I was very mean to you just earlier. I feel bad would, about I mean, that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I might co-host my own. <laughs> <laughs> you might just have your own. Sh- <laughs> did I just did I just enable you to be poached? No, no. <laughs> um, I did get um, this board game called Maria, which was released in like 2008 or something a while ago. And it's based on the wars of Austrian secession. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a, I don't know if it's like a Euro game. I still don't really understand the the concept. I, uh, like a Euro game versus American game or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, little cubes and you write like what your armies are in terms of size. And then you fight out battles um, with a deck of cards that you get. Um, and you have to keep your armies within the logistics hubs that you, that you move around. So it's trying to mimic that 18th century sense of warfare. Um, That's cool. And I believe it's the prequel to another board game that I have that I don't really play much called Friedrich. But I want to take the campaign systems of both and translate that into a, like a wargaming campaign thing where you play on the board and can bring it into the tabletop. So yeah. that's what I'm looking at this year. I'll give a shout out too, um, really quickly. I really like Academy games. I don't know if anybody is is familiar with them. I just recently played their 1775 title. So it's um it's kind of like a worker placement game, but there's also like battling and stuff. And I, I think what I really enjoy about it is it really covers the beginning of the American Revolution really well. And the way the cards are designed, it's a great learning game as well as sort of being fun. Um, I got a chance to play that with our regular sort of board gaming group a couple weeks ago. So it was, that was pretty cool, you know. Um, have you, have yeah, you played ahead. a few acres of snow? No. Okay. What is it? That's, that's the, um, it's more along the lines of the British and the French during the French and Indian Wars. Oh, okay. Um, Two-player struggle back and forth where you're sitting on opposite sides of the board. The French are in Canada. Um, and the British are centralized in New York area. 
and there there are asymmetric rules, but it's card play, so it's back and forth, kind of like a twilight struggle kind of thing where you're having to wisely build um, the pathways up. The British are trying to invade uh, Montreal, and the French win by having enough um, space spread out where they've kind of uh, absorbed enough of the wider parts of the continent, so you can kind that's of build. Cool. You can kind of build westward and south at the same time. No, that's super cool. It's if you're interested, check on the uh, website Yukata. You can play it uh, for free there. Yeah, you know, I have to ask you something, um, Steve. Yeah, you have. I was complimenting you earlier with the email thing. You have maybe the most extensive knowledge of anybody that I know when it comes to board games. Where do you where did you develop that knowledge? Because you just seem to pull titles about games. Not to, not only do you pull the titles out almost out of thin air, but you know a lot about them. So a genuine it's a genuine question. How did you develop that knowledge set? I guess talking with people who know more than me makes makes it work. But I think it would also be something that is kind of like. Um, the person who knows the batting average of the, the champion from 1937. Uh, many people in the, while that might be impressive to you, it's probably uh, looked down upon by the rest of the world as, oh, that's strange knowledge to have. Um, but it's really just curiosity about those different games. And when somebody finds something interesting, I almost immediately think, is there a game about that? Um, yeah. And when you say 1775, it makes me think, okay, a little bit further back. What about that French and Indian War, the one that right. you played with Luke, who's a history teacher? And I only knew about it through Luke. Um, so again, it's uh, connections is, yeah. is is where it comes from. Oh, very cool. So again, like just yeah. another example, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess like uh, trying to figure out the way to phrase this. So I guess your, um, your curiosity about games leads to having a really, really good working memory. I guess, right? Yeah. Or if I've stored a, and one of those things with memory is that um, it might feel like to the person who's trying to remember things that your memory fills up, but it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. The more you put in, the more actual room you have to put stuff in. You're yeah. creating more of a structure that's, that saves more information because you've got it organized in a certain way. So I think that's probably, it's probably like a gaming schema of some yeah. sort that that operates that. No, totally. Yeah. Well, look, everybody. So... Again, uh, I think we're probably at this point out of time. Um, I genuinely hope I did a good job here. Um, just in that, I've never run a podcast with this many people. So hopefully none of you feel super weird that I put you on the spot about anything, you know? Um, it was it was definitely an interesting pod. I don't know, Kelly, how do you think that went? Good. I, I would like to have everyone come back uh, sometime in the future and talk a little bit more about like how the club itself was formed and and tactfully how it runs. So if there's any other professors, teachers out there who want to do this at their own uh, school, you know, this could be a resource for them that we could share. Yeah, I'll Great second idea. that very much. I'll second that because uh, I think that if because I I do I do know the demographics and kind of numbers at this point of who's subscribing here and what people are interested in. There are a lot of teachers that listen to this podcast. So there's probably somebody out there saying, man, I wish I could start a club like that at my own school. And I mean, you guys as a team really can, I mean, you kind of have a blueprint and you know, if you're willing to share that blueprint, I agree with Kelly. I think that could be a really great thing. Yeah. Julie Houston. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, maybe some of the students are involved um, with Scott and Steve would be a uh, great guest. I mean, Julie and I aren't very involved with that. I think it's fascinating. I'd love to, 
you know, come in and watch. I walked by the room they're playing. I love how excited and how much fun people seem to be having. Uh, but I would love to hear from some of the students involved personally. Yeah, I agree with that. So I don't know. I, I just got some thumbs up. Because look, you know, I will say this, being old and like having been, do, do, been doing this a long time, I could tell you this. Um, a lot of the kids that I've graduated from the different clubs I've run, they're doing pretty amazing things, you know, with their lives. And it's like, I do think that there is some kind of connection there um, between gaming and then translating some of those skills into what you do outside. So in that, and so so again, like that's a little bit different than bringing the game club kids on, but I think it's all kind of in the same wheelhouse. Getting the student perspective on what it's like to be in these clubs and what it's like to be a gamer, I think uh, it's a really, really, really cool suggestion. And I think that's something that, you know, Kelly and I, and really just as a team, we should think about for the future. So, all right, everybody. So I think on that note, uh, like I said, uh, hopefully I'm not sounding too insecure. Hopefully I did well with that. Kelly, I know you did well with that, um, as you always do. And I'm very <laughs> appreciative that all of you were willing to come on. So huge thank you to the, to the whole team here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank, thank you. So I'm, I'm, I'm thank still you. trying to figure out who the Cylon is. Jared, I'm pretty sure it's you. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah. Always you, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Scott, I'm definitely going to have to have you on back on at some at some point specifically to talk vampire. Cuz I've been saying this for a while now, I think it would be really cool to within reason <laughs> tell some of the uh great stories that have come out of those games. I really appreciate that you came on cuz you're again, like I don't mean to swell your ego, but you are a, you're an amazing person and uh you're a good friend and I really wanted to bring you on the show to be able to say that to the entire world. In the same sense that I always pick it, my kid, Canarino's got to be the next person that comes on. So, so yeah, I really appreciate it, Scott. The dominoes yeah, no. are falling. Yeah. <laughs> the dominoes are falling. And you made this very easy. And it, it's, as I said, it's great to be here with people that I respect and I really enjoy as friendships and colleagues. So, thank you, Drew and Steve. Thank you. All right, everybody. So, I hope uh, everybody out there is having a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. It's a little bit on the longer side, but in a good sense. So, Everybody, um, I will do one really, really quick plug before the show is over. So um, if you've survived the holidays but feel like, you know what, having somebody in a professional sense to talk to to kind of recover from those holidays, don't forget that if you go to our show notes, um, we have a link for better help, right? And if you click on that link and in the passcode that is associated with that link and all the information is in the show notes. Um, it is like one of the easiest things that you can get set up for. And what, what I, and again, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna force Steve, uh, back into the conversation here, but I think the stigma behind getting a little bit of help when it comes to mental health, thankfully that stigma is vanishing. So yeah, if you need somebody to talk to in whatever sense, go to the uh, show notes and uh, click on the link. All right, everybody have a wonderful day. Peace. See y'all later. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is hmgs underscore nextgen underscore ink. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.